So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. Go back to that, go question. Back to that question and repeat them. And can you do it? And you go, person, woman, man, 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 man. Camera TV. Camera TV. They say, they say, that's amazing. How did you do that? Person, person, woman, woman, man, man, camera, TV. TV. So they say, could you repeat that? So I said, yeah. So it's person, woman, man, camera, TV. Give us that again. Can you do that again? And you go, person, woman, man, camera, TV. Go back to, go that, back question. to that question and repeat them. Can you do it? And you go, and you go, person, woman.
Good evening, ladies and gentlemen of the radio audience. Very auspicious beginning. Sure, the talk show. You know, people phone in and make a beef. Oh, what about? Whatever happens to bug you, that's what you talk about. Sometimes he agrees with the caller, other times he sets him straight. A man is unfit. He should not be the president. It's as simple as that. This is Fox News with the latest liberal outrage. It seems liberals want to give NASA the right to abort space missions whenever they feel like it. Liberals, I hate them so much. They're liberals. They got no respect for the president of the United States. 42% of all liberals are queer. That's a fact. The Wallace people took a poll. 42% of all liberals are queer. That's a fact. The Wallace people took a poll. I'll admit it. I will eat my neighbors. I'm not letting my kids die. I'll, I'm just going to be honest. With my superpowers being honest, I've extrapolated this out, and I won't have to for a few years as I got food and stuff, but I'm literally looking at my neighbors now and going, I'm ready to hang them up and gut them and skin them and chop them up. You know what? I'm ready. My daughters aren't starving to death. I'll eat my neighbors. See, my superpowers being honest, I'll eat your ass. crazy out there. I'm about to have a Howard Beale moment. It's me, Chris T, with another new aerial view. Here on thehoundnyc.com every Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, replaying Tuesday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time, and then podcast. Last week, I had the podcast going in 10 minutes. Record time. And you can find it there on my Facebook page. But it's also on uh, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts and Spotify and Stitcher and all that bullshit. And then uh, Sundays, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, you got your hound howls. Followed at 5 p.m. Eastern by crashing the party. Doo-wop chop chop of the year. Mark and Miriam, you got those doo-wops on vinyl. Of course I do. Of course I do. Ah. Life. It's funny, no? Funny! That's why I'm laughing! (laughs) Not because I'm going crazy, going off the rails on a crazy train, yeah, no, life, it's, it's, it's a sad and beautiful, like that, that, that movie with that Italian guy that crawled all over the seats there to get his Oscars, you know who I mean. If you remember his name, give us a call. There is a phone number here, 760-422-5528, 760-422-5528. That is also 760-I-CALL-AV, as in aerial view. In about 10 minutes from now, constitutional professor Ken Katkin 
joins us, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to have to remember in, in those 10 minutes the name of his, where he teaches. So I, I can, I should write it down. I should write it down. Uh, Ken is generally good-natured about me forgetting and misspeaking. Two things I do very well. Uh, and I wanted to start the show talking about 9-11, because today is 9-11, and if you're alive currently, and you were alive 19 years ago on this day, well then, you live through 9-11. My story is kind of stupid. People like to share stories of where they were, and despite the fact that at the time I lived in Hoboken, and I could have walked probably six or seven blocks and seen it for myself, I, at the time, was in Buffalo, New York, of all places. Hence my now standard joke about Buffalo. I spent a week there one day. Because really, we were supposed to be there. We being me and, and this reporter, this NPR reporter. I was working for NPR, for the Bureau, the New York Bureau of NPR, which was not far. It was in Manhattan, on 2nd Avenue, just north of 42nd Street at the time. But I wasn't in Hoboken at my house, and I wasn't at the Bureau on Manhattan. I was in Buffalo, New York, for the first time ever, at the Lord Amherst Motor Hotel in some suburb of Buffalo called Amherst. And me and this reporter named Vicky from NPR were having breakfast. And why are we there? Why did they fly me for the first time ever somewhere, NPR? When I was engineering over there, well, we were going to follow a fat kid around school. We were going to follow this fat kid into his special fat kid program at the University of Buffalo or whatever the hell it was called. And I could say fat kid because I was a fat kid and I still am a fat kid in many ways. Still have the mindset of a fat kid, even if I lost 30 pounds during the pandemic. So it's kind of like if you're in that group, you get to say that thing. I'm in that group. I get to say fat kid. And they had this new way of treating the problem of obesity. Because let's face it, when I was a fat kid back in the day, I was one of very few. Very few. There were so few of us that we could easily be picked on, bullied, And oddly enough, as I'm, as I'm telling you all of this, I am noting that on my bulletin board here at Aerial View HQ, I have put my receipt from the Lord Amherst Motor Hotel. And if I could just reach over, I'm reaching over to the bulletin board now. I'm taking the magnet off of the receipt. I'm grabbing the receipt. Look at this. Check number 037503. September 11th, 2001, room number 129. No one filled in the table box or the server box. I remember the server as an older woman, probably late 50s, early 60s. And what I mean is older than me, because at the time I would have been 19 years younger. And Vicky was probably, I don't know, a few years older than me, not that much older. And she came over and she said, a, a plane flew into the World Trade Center. And then she handed us our breakfast plates and she shoved off. And uh, I was like, uh, wow. I turned to Vicky. I said, you know, I remember my Aunt Isabel talking about a, a small plane that flew into the Empire State Building when she was in Manhattan one time in the 40s. And uh, we went to eating our breakfast and then... We paid for our breakfast, and I, I wish the server had really notated what I ordered. But on this receipt from the Lord Amherst, it says, We invite you to enjoy a free, full American breakfast with us in Shannon Pub daily, 7 a.m. to 11 a.m. So that's where Vicky and I were. We must have been in Shannon Pub eating our breakfast. And you will have your choice of, uh, number one, two eggs, and then any style, really. Fill in the blank. Home fries, two slices of toast with jelly, three strips of bacon or two sausage, and coffee, tea, or milk. Or, number two, three pancakes, three strips of bacon, or two sausage, and coffee, tea, or milk. And 
Here is your number three choice. Bowl of hot or cold cereal. Hot or cold. Two slices of toast with jelly and coffee, tea, or milk. And then further, it says, if not used for free breakfast, may be used as $4 credit towards lunch or dinner in the restaurant. We never, I don't think we made it back to the restaurant after this. Please present this coupon to your waitress. So I was supposed to hand this over, I guess. And I didn't. Gratuity not included. Please give waitress directly. Please, I guess they mean give the gratuity. Because it doesn't really say what you're giving the waitress. Give the waitress a hard time. I don't know. But that's where I was. I was in Buffalo. And as Vicky and I finished up, paid for our breakfast, walked out to our rental car, got in the car, turned on the radio, which was, of course, we had set it to the local NPR affiliate when we got there. We heard that a second plane has struck the World Trade Center and pandemonium is now erupting. Suddenly, uh, Vicky's on her phone. I think we both had cell phones, memory serves. Or maybe she had the cell phone. And uh, we're driving over to the school anyway. And we get to the school and it's weird. I have all this sound gear. I got a microphone on a boom. I've got whatever they were using at the time, a DAT recorder probably, portable digital audio tape recorder. And I'm following Vicky in and I'm actually rolling as I'm walking into the school. And I know somewhere I have this tape. I, I, I got I would love to find it. Because as we got in the school, the, the, it was just between classes and the, and the class had let out and all the kids were flooding into the hallway and they were all whispering to each other and talking to each other about what had just happened. And it was, it was eerie and unsettling. And I went into the main office to sort of park myself and wait till we found out where the fat kid was. And uh, Vicky had gone off with the principal or the assistant principal or the vice principal to find the fat kid and the TV was on and I saw it for the first time I saw the planes striking the buildings and I thought holy shit what is this I thought holy shit what is this and a woman in the in the office in the front office I remember distinctly she said I wonder where he is and I thought, he, that must mean the president. President's plane, at that point, I think was the only plane allowed in the sky. Every other plane had to ground itself. You're grounded. And, uh, and then I, we were told to basically leave the school that maybe this wasn't such a great idea and um i remember as 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 we were headed over to the school from the lord amherst and we had found out what had happened i remember vicky getting very upset and and essentially saying i don't know how to go do this now how do i go do how do i go do this story now and 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 i am amazed by what i said next i i said to her well a lot more people are going to die of obesity than are probably going to die from this thing. And I'm sure that's true. I'm sure that's played out. But, you know, that's not... You're not dealing with the psychological blow, are you? Of what happened on that day? Of course not. I was being an idiot. I was downplaying it. I don't even know why. I was trying to get her spirits back up, I guess. I don't know. It was a fucked up day for everybody. But it was mostly fucked up for me because... I wasn't there. I wasn't... I wasn't home. I was in Buffalo, for Christ's sakes. Buffalo. And yes, I did have beef on Weck the night before. So what? But then NPR wanted us to get this. Go into Canada. Drive into Canada. What a great idea on 9-11. And we did. We drove into Canada. The nearest border crossing... And we were supposed to go to Niagara Falls and ask people for their reactions to what had just happened. And I just thought, okay, whose idea is that? I mean, we're doing as we're told, right? And then we get halfway to to, to Niagara Falls and we get a call. Come back. Come back to the United States. 
And we do. We turn around and we drive back to Buffalo and we hunker down at the Lord Amherst. And there we stay. There we sit. There we cool our heels until we get further instructions. And we couldn't we couldn't do anything except call people. That's all I did all day long and all night long is call everybody I knew. Spend a solid hour on the phone with everybody, with my sister. And I don't remember if I called my brother. But I called people I thought would pick up the phone. And that was quite a few of them. And we were all like, what the fuck? just happened and it was bizarre it's strange and I think it altered the course of this nation and I think it brought us in many ways to where we are now I could make a fairly good argument for that and I think it continues to ripple outward and, and one of the reasons I wanted to get Ken Katkin on the show today is to ask him how it changed the Constitution also there's a great article in the New Atlantic that I wanted to ask him about, and I'm going to have to spring it on him. I'm willing to bet, though, that he knows about the article and has already read the article. So uh, let's get him on the line. It's written by Danielle Allen. It's called The Flawed Genius of the Constitution. And uh, Ken Katkin, constitutional professor is uh, going to be our guest here on Aerial View. And then later on, I'm going to tell you about my weird Karen-esque moment earlier today and uh, share with you why I don't really know if they were the Karen or I was the Karen, to be honest. I mean, I'm the one who called the cops. Does that make me the Karen? I don't know. He was the one that was freaking the hell out. So, maybe he was a Karen? I, I, I really can't say. It's confusing, eh? What am I, Canadian? I'm trying to think of other details from that day, from uh, 9-11. Because there was a few other things that, that occurred. There was the driving over to the school and having to cheer... Vicky up with my stupid remark about how many people were going to die from obesity. And then there was the, uh, oh yeah, the principal or the assistant principal or the vice principal, whoever it was, who actually met us in the walkway to the school. Hey, Ken. Hey, Ken. Trying to get Ken Kack in here on the line to... Uh... Oh, can you hear me, Chris? Yes, now I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yeah, I was, I was, having, I was confused because I was listening to you and there's a delay. Well, yeah, you know, we, we, we run into this from time to time and I always, I never know what to tell people, like how to <laughs> overcome yeah. that. I mean, what, what did you do to overcome it? Maybe I'll, this way I'll know for next time. To overcome the delay, I just finally realized I had to turn off the, the, the stream that I was listening to. You were so fascinated by Aerial View. You were so glued <laughs> to what yeah. I was saying that you were, you forgot that we had to meet on Skype, in other words. No, I, I was sitting here on Skype, but I was hearing both, so that was what was confusing oh, me. Oh, all right. Well, I hope you're unconfused now, because I really need you sharp and with it. Yeah, all right. For the next few minutes. And uh, let's remind people you know, why I like to talk to you about the Constitution. Oh, I, I don't know why, though. Oh, just because, <laughs> because you're a barber and you know okay, a lot yeah, about no, the I Constitution. Am, I do teach constitutional law, and I heard you forgetting again where I teach. It's at the Salmon Chase College of Law in Northern Kentucky University. That's where I teach. And uh, please forgive me for that. I, you know what? I'm actually going to write it down this time. Let me get a pen. Hang on a second. What's it? <laughs> it's Sam, it. Samuel? Salmon, salmon like the fish. Yeah, uh, Salmon P. Chase. And I think I told you before, Chase was Lincoln's uh, chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court. And I remember and, being uh, really impressed yeah, and, by that. Yeah. And it, yeah, the law school's named after him, and it's in uh, Northern Kentucky University, which is in the suburbs of Cincinnati. How are things in Cincinnati? Are you having any um, of the Black Lives Matter protests going on? Is there any, um, you know, other things happening in the streets, street demonstrations at all? What, what's going on in Cincinnati? 
Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I there we haven't had a lot of that going on lately. A lot of that was happening around Memorial Day when it was happening everywhere else after uh, George Floyd got killed. But uh, but the the police here um, they arrested about five or six hundred of the peaceful protesters, and um, because of the uh, previous incidents like that, the police are actually required to wear body cams. So there's this body cam footage of all the arrests, and. Uh, they have a data retention policy where they erase all that stuff after 90 days. And uh, I kept telling them I want to see it, and they kept kind of, you know, delaying me. And so when it got um, to day 89, which was uh, um, a little over a week ago, and I knew they were about to delete all the footage, uh, I went to court and I sued them and I got a temporary restraining order. So um, I don't have the footage yet, but the police have not been allowed to destroy it. But I, I am hoping to look at the body cam footage of police arresting five or six hundred Black Lives Matter protesters here in Cincinnati. What is the law that allows you access to that footage? Well, every state has a separate law on that. So the federal one is called the Freedom of Information Act, but that would only apply against federal agencies. And then states, um, they sometimes call it that. They sometimes call it the Open Records Act. They sometimes call it the Public Records Act. Um, in Ohio, it's called the Ohio Public Records Act. So you can you can ask for any public record, and, and body cam footage is a public record. When you say you, d does that include private citizens, or does it have to be some sort of official interest of some? Oh uh, no, it, it definitely includes private citizens, and I am doing this as a private citizen. I mean, I am a professor, but that doesn't give me any advantage over anyone else. But um, a lot of the agencies that don't like to comply with those kinds of requests. You know what they do to avoid it um, is just what they were doing to me. They're they're allowed to have relatively short data retention policies, and so if they can just stall people until after it becomes legal for them to destroy the data, then they can then they can respond um, and say, oh well, we would have granted your request in the ordinary course, but we we didn't notice that um, this was here until after we already destroyed the data through our routine data policy. So that's a, that's a common response, and which I was expecting, and that's why I went to court and I got this um, temporary restraining order. But I, how, I would like to, to look at that footage. And I did get some from the sheriff. So when they arrested these five or 600 people, they took them all to the Hamilton County Jail, which is run by the sheriff's office, not by the police. And uh, because of COVID, and they didn't want to jam all these people into the jail, they actually detained them all overnight um, outdoors in a, in a, in a gated-in courtyard outside the jail, and there's fixed security camera footage of all that, and the uh, the sheriff's office already gave me all that footage, so I've got that. So I am trying to look at all this footage and get it and find out how these Black Lives Matters protesters were treated. And actually, if any of your listeners are interested, I need help watching all this footage. I've I've uploaded a ton of it to YouTube, and I'm I'm you know people can people can email me uh, uh, and and or contact me through you if they're interested in helping me watch. And I think some of your listeners who I know already have been doing this. Um, so that's something that's happened. That's it's really happening a few months ago, but I'm just trying to get more. Uh, I'm, I'm trying not to let this fall down a memory hole right so, now. So, so what email that. address could they write to? Um, they can write to me uh, at my office, and that is uh, Katkin K. So my last name, Katkin, K-A-T-K-I-N, uh, and then my first initial K. And that's at uh, nku.edu, northernkentuckyuniversity.edu. And uh, again, the Salmon P. Chase uh, School College of, of Law, Law. College yeah. of Law at Northern Kentucky University. Yeah, uh, yeah so, I've got plenty of footage if you want to see how police handled Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, and, and so the federal the Freedom of Information Act, if you... For instance, wanted to look at some footage from those jackbooted, booted thugs of the of Homeland Security, uh, and see what they were up to. You would invoke that law. Yeah, I think the bigger problem there would be that those guys don't routinely wear body cams, right? So the the Cincinnati police actually have to wear body cams because they've been sued for a lot of civil rights violations in the past, and they agreed to that as part of a consent decree to settle some earlier lawsuits. But there's no general national rule that requires law enforcement officers to wear body cams while they're working and record everything they do. And I don't think too many federal uh, law enforcement officers do that, but um, but the Cincinnati police do have to do that. So um, that if was we, something uh, I was able to manage. If we wanted such a law, what would have to happen? Well, there'd be two ways to do it. I mean, hopefully after this election, uh, we'll have a different president, we'll have a different Congress. And, you know, we may, you know, people talk about various police reforms right now. That's definitely part of the campaign uh, rhetoric, and that's one form of police reform. So Congress could legislate a law 
requiring federal agencies to wear body cams and to and to keep uh, footage. Um, or another way it could be done, and this is how it happened in Cincinnati, um, is if if there's um, if there's widespread civil rights violations that are committed by a law enforcement uh, agency, and that law enforcement agency gets sued in a civil rights lawsuit where it can be proved out that there was a pattern or practice, that it wasn't just one bad apple or something, then in order to settle that lawsuit, um, uh, law enforcement agencies will enter into what's called a consent decree where they do promise to make some reforms going forward and the, and that's enforceable by the court that they were sued in. So that's what happened here. So in 2001, um, there was several uh, police shootings of uh, unarmed uh, uh, black teenagers in Cincinnati and it was proved out in court that this was sort of a pattern or practice that the Cincinnati police had. And in order to get that lawsuit settled, um, this, the police agreed to, as part of the settlement, to this body cam requirement. So it might be done through litigation or it might be done through legislation. Those are the two ways to get that. It seems like a very important thing to get done. I think so. And, I, you know, what I've been kind of focusing on coming into this, you know, not being I wasn't part of those lawsuits in 2001, but coming into this much later is uh, um once it gets done, it's actually important that people demand to look at all that footage. Like a lot of times, you know, you'll have litigation where the police have to agree to start wearing body cams and then, you know, the plaintiffs declare victory and go home. And then, you know, the, everything the police do is being filmed, but nobody's ever looking at the film and, and they can uh, um, get rid of the film pretty quickly. Sometimes they have to produce it in particular criminal cases. Like if they make an arrest and the defendant who's being brought to trial wants to look at the footage, they'll, they'll have to produce it. But, you know, in, in these 500 arrests of the Black Lives Matter protesters, almost none of them are really going to go to trial. The cases are all going to be dismissed or they're going to plead guilty in exchange for um, no, no penalty. You know, so, so if there's no trial, then typically no one's ever going to look at any of this footage. And so I've been just thinking it would be useful to actually hang on to a lot of this kind of footage and try to get uh, crowdsourced uh, groups of people so to actually look at it all. Well. I didn't know we were going to get into this, but I find it fascinating. So let me ask another question. How many hours of video have they turned over to you so far? Well, the sheriff's already gave me all the, the jail footage, and that's, uh, you know, probably about 500 hours. I mean, it all, happened, it all happened within a period of about eight hours, but there's just a lot of cameras. Um, and then, uh, but the police have not given me the footage yet. The only thing I got in the temporary restraining order was the court ordered them not to destroy that footage while we litigate this out. And how do you they, know they don't they, destroy the footage? I mean, what proof would there, I mean, how would you know if they, if they could be destroying footage right now. How would you know? Yeah. I mean, if they're, if they're destroying footage in a very selective, selective way, I probably would never know, you know, like if, if they already know where, where the really bad stuff is and they destroy a few hours of footage and there's still thousands of hours they haven't destroyed. Um, I'd probably never know, but I think the reality is that they haven't looked at it all either, right? And it's so it's not that they actually know where all the bad stuff is. It's just that they kind of count on the fact that even though they have to take this footage, you know, they hide it away. They don't spend time looking at it, and then they quickly destroy it. Well, I, and I don't. And, and so, so I don't think I don't think that they actually would know which footage to destroy. And if they destroyed a very large amount of footage, um, I, that would be knowable. You know, because well, they'd have to I, I, I just envision something more out of like a you know a, a, a golden age TV show. I guess we're in the golden age of television where the cop comes in and says, "Sarge, I think you better take my camera for a while. Something went down." And then they have the camera with the footage on it. Isn't it a little card or something in the camera? Isn't it a little? Isn't it like uh, you know flash drive in the camera itself? So the recording's in the camera. They haven't downloaded it to the computer yet. So all the guy has to do is say, Sarge, take my camera for a little while. I, this, something happened. And the Sarge knows I got to segregate that camera. I got to keep that camera away from everybody. Yeah. And Yeah, I mean, I, I'm agreeing with you. If that's what it is, they're going to get away with right. it. Yeah. But, what, what, but what I'm saying is that's, that could only really work for very small amounts of footage. I'm, I'm looking for thousands of hours of footage. Okay. And, uh, right. you know, they, they may be able to, you know, they may well be able to get away with destroying the most incriminating stuff. Well, um, I, but me, that would involve they'd have to know what the most incriminating stuff is. So let me get into the Constitution then, because yeah, sure. I, I mean, and we're kind of talking about it anyway. I mean, these are constitutional issues anyway. So, but a uh, great article by uh, Danielle Allen in the Atlantic this week, and she talks about it's called the flawed genius of the Constitution, and she makes a very uh, persuasive argument uh, in favor of the the Constitution, even though the Constitution is. 
Um, there's, there are various, various moral issues encased within the Constitution. She, she talks to it. I mean, she makes this analogy where she says, if I'm mucking out the stalls and I find a diamond, I don't throw away the diamond. You know, and there's so much uh, good in the Constitution. And she gets into the Federalist Papers. She talks about so many of the things that are routinely being ignored or abrogated by the current administration, the the different protections built into the Constitution that they just sort of blow past. They don't even it's 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 so bizarre to see how they treat the Constitution as like. You know when you'd buy food in a box at the supermarket and it says serving suggestion on the cover? It seems like it's more of a serving suggestion to them than the actual law. And so I, I don't know if you got a chance to this, to, to read this this column, this article, this opinion yeah. piece. You well, sent it to me just on time, Chris. I was able to read it between when you sent it to me and when we came on. So I have I, read it now. Forgive me for sending it so late, but today That's was fine. a busy day. I meant to send it to you earlier and all kinds of stuff happened which I'll get into in a moment. Uh, what did you, did you have form an opinion of it? Yeah, in that yeah. Short I interval? agree with, I agree with Danielle Allen. Um, I, I, you know, I think the U S constitution that we have, it's, it's not a great constitution. I think there are other countries that have better constitutions. Um, but I would not, uh, support the idea of trying to bring in a new one because I think with the, the population that we actually have, you know, if there was a new constitutional convention, uh, and we replaced this constitution with a new one, I'm I'm fairly sure we'd get one that's a lot worse. I don't I don't think we'd get one that was better than the one that we've got. Would you have um, like QAnon people deciding what goes in the next constitution? Right. I mean, that's what that's what I'm really talking about here. That the the American population, uh, you know, would would play a big role crazy? in the constitutional yes. convention. I don't I don't trust them as much as I trust the constitution that we actually have today. Although I think a lot of the European constitutions that were written after World War II are are better constitutions than the one we have. But I don't think we'd get one of those. Can I ask why you think they are better? What do they have in them that ours doesn't? Well, I think our um, separation of powers that we have was a good idea. But I think in practice, um, the the indeterminacy of our Constitution lets the executive branch get way too much power. Um, You know, most of the European constitutions don't have an executive branch that's as independent of the legislative branch as ours is, you know, and the, the original concept of our framers, you know, Madison talked about setting ambition against ambition, you know, that if, if we had a separate executive branch, who wasn't elected by the Congress and, and they, they, they'd be fighting each other all the time. And that would be good for the people because neither of them would turn tyrannical. But I think in practice that didn't work out quite right because he didn't anticipate the rise of political parties enough. You know, and so what you see now is not that um, the U.S. Senate is trying to hold uh, the, the president in check. We see that uh, McConnell is actually trying to um, empower Trump because he's in the same political party. And so if you have a system that has political parties that where you get coordinated action across the branches, then I think our Constitution lets the executive branch get too powerful when when the when the when the political party of the president is also the political party of the Senate. And I, I don't think that's a great system. I think the parliamentary systems are mostly better, um, where the, the the executive would be on a tighter leash uh, than our president is on. I don't, I don't know what, what you think about that. I, I agree, because I think even though in the past you might have had presidents that were tempered by norms and traditions, this one is not. Right. And doesn't really care for them. And so even if it's not something specifically spelled out, in the Constitution, and, and if I hear you correctly, what you were saying earlier is that the language isn't precise enough so that there's so much wiggle room that someone like Bill Barr will drive a Mack truck right. through it and start declaring things. Like, for instance, now they want to pay his legal bills. Yeah, that's beca- outrageous. Because he was denying, was it E. Jean Carroll that, that yeah, was pressing yeah. the suit against him when he assaulted her at Bergdorf Goodman and stuck his hand up her skirt and... You know, right. as she, as he famously said in the Access Hollywood tape, grab him by the pussy. And, yeah. you know, if the Constitution had a pussy, that's what the Trump administration and Bill Barr <laughs> would be yeah. grabbing it by. And, you know, E. Jean Carroll's doing a fascinating series of articles also in The Atlantic. This is not a commercial for The Atlantic, by the way. But uh, she's talking to all the women that he's assaulted over the years and interviewing them. And this, the, the one that's current, the current article is about a woman who got on a, a Braniff flight back in 1980s, the early 1980s, 
she went to go sit in the back of the plane. She was a journalist. And the stewardess, because at the time they were still called stewardesses, asks her if she wants to move up to first class and seats her next to Donald Trump. And he proceeds, after having a pleasant lunch with her and polite conversation, to physically assault her and to put his hand under her skirt and under her blouse and grope her and try to kiss her. And she eventually fights him off and she goes back to her seat in the back of the plane. And it ends years... I mean, the the, the piece ends years later when this journalist runs into him at some event in New York in the early 90s. It's now 10 years later. And he looks at her and he obviously recognizes her and she looks at him and they lock eyes. And he says to her, I remember you. You were that cunt on the plane. And it's like you could so hear this shit coming out of the mouth of that man. You could so hear it that to me it just has, oh, yeah, that has the ring of truth. What they call the ring of truth because this this is the kind of guy who would say that, you know. So it's not a stretch for me to believe that he would say that to a woman he physically assaulted 10 years earlier. Oh, yeah, you were that cunt on the plane. But that's what our president said to a woman who would not give up the goods to him in the way that he had become accustomed to. And it's it boggles my mind every day, Ken Katkin, that this is the guy that sits at the seat of what you could arguably call the most powerful position in the world. He is the president of the United States, but the president of the United States is the leader of what they always call the quote unquote free world. And even if that's getting smaller, if the free world is still getting smaller, it, it, it's a very awesome degree of responsibility and power. And he's a piece of shit. And he should yeah. have never gotten all that awesome power, if not for those 77,000-odd votes in Pennsylvania and Michigan and Wisconsin. And it's it sickens me now when the tapes come out that Bob Woodward has of right. our president admitting back in February, February 7th, that he knew how deadly coronavirus, COVID-19 is. It's spread airborne. It's much worse than the flu. And meanwhile, he's telling people the exact opposite. He's out there reassuring people that it'll be over it when the warm weather comes, that it's not a big deal, that it's one person coming in from China. I mean, could he be impeached for that alone? I mean, if it wasn't 54 days out from November 3rd, would we be talking about impeaching, trying to impeach him again for absolute dereliction of duty? Or what? Is there any constitutional basis for just how awful this person is and having him removed? I mean, well, awful I, at his I, job. I think, you know, in terms of the impeachment clauses, you know, they, they, they use the words high crime and misdemeanors. Um, dishonesty alone might not be a crime or a misdemeanor. Um, but, you know, in, in reality, what the impeachment clauses mean is that if, 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 if the majority of the House of Representatives and then two thirds of the senators believe that this person can't be president anymore, then he, then he can't be president anymore. I think all these things should should be impeachable. Um, but, you know, it's it's in reality, the, the Republicans in the Senate have not uh, turned against him enough. But the, the other part of what you were talking about was about the 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 the, the our Constitution does assume that the um, the the officers of the government are going to be of reasonably good character. And none of it can really work uh, if they're not. You know, the, the executive um, uh, powers that are defined in the Constitution are, are defined very, very minimally. The Constitution tells us that the president is the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. But other than that, the other powers that he has, he can demand that his cabinet secretaries give him written answers to his questions. Uh, he can he can give um, pardons, um, and he can make uh, nominations for executive and judicial offices. And that's about it. And then everything else, every other power that the president has, it's just an implication from the words. The, the, there's just these two words, the executive power. He has the executive power. So the, the question of what that means, it really does depend on um, whether the people interpreting that are in good faith or not. And if you have a guy like Bill Barr or, or Trump who's just willing to say, you know, basically that means he's king, um, it gets really hard to stop him unless the, um, the, the members of the other branches, the senators and the judges, are really uh, committed to stopping him. And the only way they've ever really been able to affect any of this is not to stop him so much, but to throw boulders in his path and constantly drag him in the court and just sort of try to slow his role, right? I mean, because obviously you're not going to get two-thirds of the Senate with the lick spittles and the lackeys and the ass-kissers right. who have their hand out constantly, namely 
the GOP because they want federal judgeships and tax cuts and uh, gutting of the social safety net. And, oh, yeah, add in deregulation. So if they get those four things, they will whore themselves uh, to kingdom come in order to do it. And they'll sell out America in the process. They don't really care. Meanwhile, cloaking themselves in the flag and calling themselves patriots, it truly is a sickening display. And the more I see it, the more I'm like, what in the loving fuck is wrong with us? I mean, you know, we could have such a great thing. America could be so great if we wanted it to be. And instead, we settle for this shit. It's yeah. like it's like you could move into a nice place, and then you move into Trump Tower, and you settle for that shit. I'm like, it is the trappings of wealth. It's not actual wealth, because he's not actually wealthy. He won't release his tax returns. We don't know how much money he actually has. He's a failure at everything, and now he's a failure at leading this goddamn country. He's a failure as a president, and he's doing everything yeah. he can, including subverting the Constitution by making it impossible for people to vote to see to it that he stays in office rather than get thrown out and become a, uh, a, c- a consistent defendant in one criminal and civil suit after another until the time that maybe— you and I could live long enough to see him dragged off to prison. And so to forestall that, he is willing to sacrifice, at this point, we're up to almost 200,000 Americans by Election Day. I hear it could be 220,000 Americans. And uh, I misspoke earlier. It's 53 days to Election Day, so don't go and vote on the wrong day because of me. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, I look at all this, and I, and I, I it, it really, I start to feel like I'm, I've entered this weird on reality, and you look at what's happening on the West Coast, you know, with the fires, and now Phil out in Portland's gonna have to flee his home. At some point, he's gonna get evacuated, and 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 this is the wrong guy. He's like it's like what Michelle Obama said. He's the wrong person for the job. He just he's just not suited to this job. He's just not up to it, and not and. And I, I, even, I haven't even mentioned that he's revealing to Bob Woodward our new weapon systems. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I mean, come on. And and can help me out here. What do we? No, I mean, not up to it is almost an understatement because it actually wouldn't even be as bad. Like when you talk about something like the pandemic or the fires in the West Coast, if he was just in over his head and couldn't figure out how to solve these problems, um, that would be bad. But that wouldn't even be as bad as I think the reality, which is that he actually doesn't care to solve these problems. It's not it's not it's that he he looks out there at the West Coast burning and he's like, well, those are all Democratic states. What the hell do I care? You know, he looked at he looked at the pandemic and he's like, well, that's basically, you know, minorities and poor people and people who live in cities that are getting hit by that. The hell do I care? You know, so it wasn't it wasn't even just that he was trying in good faith to, to solve these problems and, and not knowing how to do it. I think it was even worse. So you see a sort of malignant intent behind yeah, oh yeah. this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think that's what's revealed in those Woodward tapes, not that it wasn't obvious all along. Yet they still cling to this man. No one really has done any serious backing away, and they won't because, again, you get your federal judgeships, you get your tax cuts, you get your gutting of the social safety net, and you get your deregulation – so, yeah, you know, they'll they, they're not going to for they're not going to go without those things to uh, keep this man in power. And I am worried. I'm worried when I see what's happening to the post office. I he, I see what's going on with uh, people being thrown off the voting rolls for no reason whatsoever. They will try to wrench this thing by any means necessary in a weird sort of upside down and backwards take on what Malcolm X said many, many years ago, by any yeah. means necessary, they will try to win this thing. And he, he loves, uh, he loves to win. He hates to lose, obviously. So if that means cheating, that's what will happen. How do we protect ourselves, Ken Kank? And what, what do we do? Well, one thing I'm very concerned about, and I've been thinking about how to protect against this is uh, one thing that seems to me very likely in November is that, um, even though I'm, I believe Biden is going to get a lot more votes than Trump, um, but because Republicans have demonized mail voting so much and Democrats are much more open to mail voting and there is still a pandemic going on, I think we're probably going to see a situation in November where on Election Day, when the polls close and when you can, you know, that night, as always, you can get counts of the people who voted in voting machines, um, but it takes another week for all the mail-in absentee ballots to come in and get counted. 
it may well look like Trump's winning. And I, th I think the, there's going to be a skew, you know, so that people who vote on Election Day are going to disproportionately be Republican and people who vote by mail are going to disproportionately be Democrat. And I'm sure I'm sure that Trump is going to jump to claim victory immediately, you know, based on the counts that come in on election night. And he's going to and then as they keep counting votes that come in by mail, um, he's going to declare that this is all cheating and fraud and he's never going to concede. And I think all that's going to happen. And I, I really think the only way to kind of deal with it is for 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 all, um, uh, you know, for just for everybody who can to constantly be, um, you know, reminding everybody else that, uh, you know, the, the votes haven't all been counted yet and they're just counting the votes and Biden's going to win, you know, and she just never accept the narrative that Trump's ahead, even though it may momentarily look like he's ahead. I think the other thing that I plan to do is vote in person. And I, I have to say, I've never had an issue doing that. Our polling places around the corner. There's it's never busy, even a, a, the last few presidential elections. It hasn't been crazy down there. I expect I mean, maybe it'll be crazy. Maybe it'll have some of his insane right wing QAnon nuts there at the polling station 50 yards away or however many feet away they're supposed to stand, 50 feet, you know, giving me the hairy eyeball. I don't care. I'm still yeah. going to go vote in person. And I would even suggest to you, if you have places where you can vote early in person, do the early in-person voting as well. If you're not, if you're not comfortable, if you think this is going to end like the plot against America on HBO end, Ended where they take the ballots and they burn them in a field, then try to do your in-person early voting. And right. if not, go on Election Day and keep socially distant and wear a mask and bring your hand sanitizer. And I'm telling you, I'm willing to do this for this. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I do. I think anyone who can vote uh, early or even on Election Day in person It'll be a good thing to do. But I also think that's because of controlling the narrative and, and the public narrative. I don't think it'll be good if Trump seems to be ahead on the end of Election Day. And the only votes that are already going to be counted on the end of Election Day are votes of people who voted in person. Um, I do think there are going to be some problems in some places that not all the polling places are ever going to open because they're not going to get as many people willing to work the polls during this pandemic as they have had in a typical year. You know, here in Hamilton County, Ohio, where I am, I don't I don't think half the polling places are going to be open. I, th I think probably at least half will actually be closed. So like when you say, well, you vote around the corner, well, that's where you always voted before. Um, but if, if you were where I live, um, that would not mean that that place is going to be open this time. So so that's, I think, going to pose some difficulties for some people. You raise an excellent point because I'm assuming it's going to be open. And you know what happens when you assume. Yeah. You make you know, one thing you could you maybe do, Chris, and I yeah. think a lot of people can do this is uh you know, these the, these county boards of election that are having trouble getting poll workers because, of course, they traditionally draw very heavily on retirees. Older people like to get that. You get paid about 200 bucks for the day to be a poll worker. You know, the poll judge who checks people in. Well, a lot of 70 and 80 year olds don't want to do that this year. And that's why they're having so much trouble. But, hey, I um, just you know, younger 58. people can sign up. To I do could that. go do. And, yeah, you, know, you just, could keep a polling place open. You could get paid two hundred bucks, and it's it's a good thing to I, do. Wait a minute, I could make two hundred dollars just going down there and doing <laughs> that. I think I will. You that should. And a lot of our listeners should. Yeah, uh, that's what you know. The county board of elections hires people for that one day, and they pay them, and it's a full day. You know, you go when the polls open, and you stay until the polls close, and uh, uh, that's how they run elections in this country. And well, that's uh, it's. It's typically something that a lot of retired people like to do, but I, I think that's why it's it's a it's a challenge. In the year, in the five minutes they... we have left, Ken, I want to pivot to something that happened in my driveway earlier. And since you're a constitutional professor at the Salmon P. Chase College of Law at Northern Kentucky University, I need your take on whether I was the Karen or the crazy guy in my driveway was the Karen. I'm trying to pull into my driveway, actually back into my driveway earlier today around four o'clock. This guy, I noticed, he's in the driveway. He's picking flowers on the flower bed on one side of our driveway. We have flower beds on either side. He picks a flower. He stands there in the driveway. It looks like he's going to be picking more flowers. And now I have a car pull up behind me, and I'm blocking traffic. And I lower the window, and I say to the guy, can I help you? Or, hey, what are you doing? Or something. And he starts walking over to my car. He doesn't have a mask on. He starts talking to me about God knows what. And then he uh, he kind of gets very irate with me because I'm wearing a, a shirt that has a Dodge Demon logo on it. Dodge Demon was a it was a duster variant in the early 70s muscle car that Mopar put out. And they have a logo and it says Demon. 
and um, and he sees the demon thing, and he starts you know screaming at me about how I'm a demon, and he um, goes on and on about China and about Nancy Pelosi and Maxine Waters and AOC, and he talks about pedophile rings and how I'm part of the problem, and he, he basically pins me down in my car because now I don't feel safe getting out of the car, and I, I certainly don't want to open the garage door. And the only thing I can do, really, because now traffic is coming from both sides of my block, and I'm in the middle of the street, and I'm trapped there, and he's yelling at me. And now I'm like, okay, and people are honking their horns. And really, the only thing I could do is back into the driveway a little bit so people can get past me. But he's still standing by the side of my car, and he's yelling and screaming at me. And it's then where I think I I have to call the police. I have to call the police. I'm using my thinking reverb. <laughs> and I do. He's, he's in your driveway. Um, he, He's on the public sidewalk, though. But it's a public sidewalk, but he's standing next to my car in what is the mouth of my driveway or my driveway, but it doesn't belong to me. It's ostensibly mm-hmm. public property. And please show up rather quickly. And now when he sees the police, he starts walking away from me finally. And I wait. Um, and I, I have a little bit of audio from this guy. Let me just play it for you. Sorry, I had to subject you to that. That's so was he the this cam- guy's a, He's an anti-communist, but he thinks that your flowers are his flowers. Uh, I guess so, yeah. I, I hadn't thought of that, but thank you for pointing that out. You're absolutely <laughs> yeah. right. I, so I felt like a Karen after that because I like I called the police, and I don't know. Maybe he was the Karen. You're a constitutional law professor. Do you care to, yeah. do you care to choose who was the Karen there? I don't know. I, I, you know, I wasn't there. My instinct would never be to call the police. I know if I did that, my daughter would actually call me a narc rather than a, a Karen. But, uh, but the, uh, um, I, I, I wasn't. I don't know if he ever would have left. I guess you're, you're the one who was there. And he you, wasn't you, leaving. You, you Take it from me. He was not leaving. He would not withdraw. Yeah. You know, when you become the target of a psychotic, and now yeah. all they want to do is yell and scream at you. I had become his target. He had locked onto me with like a tractor beam, and he was not. And, and despite me asking him repeatedly, could you please leave? Would you please leave? Please leave. Please get away from my car. Please go. It only encouraged him to stay, it seemed. So, yeah, I didn't. And I didn't want to get out of the car because, you know, even though most mentally ill people, the majority of them are not violent. Maybe this is the one of the guys that is. I don't know. Yeah. I didn't want hey, to open my garage door because what if he goes in my garage and starts poking around? And so I kind of was pinned down i'm letting myself off the hook i wasn't the karen he was the karen okay he was the karen i I appreciate your time ken we're we're out of road we got about 30 seconds left again where can people find you if they want to help out with your watching of body cam footage project yeah i'll say it once more my email address is a good way to get a hold of me and that's katkin k K k-a-t-k-i-n-k at n-k-u dot e-d-u and as always, a, a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you again. I appreciate it. Always willing to help me figure out these uh, constitutional issues and talk about a great living document that, yes, we will admit is flawed. Thank you, Ken. Appreciate it. Th- thanks, Chris. It's always great to be here. 
Uh, just running out of road, so I'll tell you once again, the Hound Howl at 3 p.m. And then uh, crashing the party at 5 p.m. on Sunday. See you soon.